0: Hi, welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. And once again, we're really now zoning in on topics that you are asking for, such as positive psychology, growth mindset, psychological safety. These terms are coming up again and again in the context of leaders and leadership. I'm joined by Chris Samsa, who is a positive psychologist and one of the founding directors of the Neuro Leadership Institute. Trust me, you don't want to miss this episode. Come back to me just after this.
1: During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive... Each week, we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico.
0: Well, it's a big warm welcome to Chris Samza. Chris, how are you?
2: I am good. The sun is shining. Uh, I'm still in my shorts and uh, really, really loving the weather. I'm a big fan of the heat.
0: So, Well, no, me too. And in some ways that makes us happy, which is a lovely segue, isn't it? Into you're a positive psychologist. And you and I spoke about an episode that I did with Nick Marks in relation to happiness. And so help the listeners understand what is a positive psychologist?
2: It's great. I remember. So um, I did my master's in positive psychology. Yes, there is such a thing. I think I was the second cohort to go through it in the UK. It was based on the uh, master's of applied positive psychology that Martin Seligman, the grandfather of the positive psychology movement, started at Penn State University. Right. Um, and I can remember one of the lecturers saying to us at the time, Are you going to, you know, put positive psychologists on your business card? And I said, You must be joking. You know, the the sort of organizations that I'm working with, they would run a mile if they saw that sort of thing. Anyway, you know, years and years have gone by. And I'm so proud to call myself a positive psychologist, especially having been one of the first uh, that was working in the UK. And people often say, you know, what is positive psychology? Yeah. So you think about psychology as a continuum. If I said to you, Adam, if a friend of yours said to you they're seeing a psychologist, what would you think?
0: that they were being treated some way that was therapy or they had some issues that they were working through
2: yeah there was something wrong with them probably yeah uh is how most people would think about that so uh, if you think about the continuum what is wrong with you is the zero to minus 10 piece of that continuum stress anxiety uh depression you know all the way through to psychosis or whatever right positive psychology is the zero to plus 10 piece okay and the question Positive psychology, we ask, is what is right with you? What do you think are some of the things that might fit into the zero to plus 10 piece?
0: What do I think? Yeah. Well, it, it is where happiness fits into it. Joy. Yeah.
2: Joy, happiness, but also things like strengths. If you can, uh, I'm very often asked to give a sound bite. you know, what what's one piece of advice you would give? Find out what you're naturally good at and do more of it so find a strength something that you're good at apply effort Strengths uh, strength finder is a great tool i sometimes use from yeah. uh and it's uh, talent times investment i think uh, equals strength or traits they call them um so yeah we've got this continuum and because after two world wars, there were lots of uh, returning service people with very serious, what we now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. All of the money that was used to look after psychology was channeled into finding some sort of relief for those conditions. So what the humanist movement were doing back in the 50s, for example, looking at all of the stuff in the positive psychology domain, all of that sort of got uh, uh, uh not shelled entirely but very much a second uh, um was playing second fiddle to finding a solution so we ended up thinking about psychology as just in the disease uh, framework in the in the zero to the minus 10 piece so psychology actually is the whole of this and the role of the psych- of the positive psychology movement i think is that one day we won't say positive psychology we will just say psychology and we'll take it uh, it, will, it will it will be as a whole a circle
0: now chris have you found that there's a, a more of an awareness or a difference in approach now in recent times, especially with the pandemic, for an awareness of positive psychology as opposed to being treated because there is an issue, as you t- you talked about the negative and the positive, have things changed in recent times, or are you still having to battle with that all the time and help people understand more about positive psychology?
2: Yeah, it's not a battle, I think, any longer. Right. Um. I I guess one of the big shifts that I've experienced in say the last decade is that people feel more comfortable talking about their mental health. Right. Um, I've tried to shift certainly some of the time to talk less about mental health and more about emotional health. Uh, again, mental health... Has a connotation of, of often being negative. Right. Again, somebody said to you, "Oh, um, uh, uh, I've been thinking about my mental health." We tend, to, we probably wouldn't think about that in the positive spectrum as well. Emotional health, I think, gives us a, 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 a wider spectrum to think about and consider. So, um, yeah, we've seen lots of high-profile people coming out, talking about their own struggles. Uh, uh, with uh, uh, you, You've talked a little bit about my sort of neuroscience background. I'm not a neuroscientist, but as you mentioned, I'm one of the founding directors of the Neuro Leadership Institute. So I've been working in that field for over 20 years, I think since 2002. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, as human beings, we are... A collection of neurons. You know, we have well, depending on which research you're you're reading, somewhere between eighty and hundred billion neurons. John Ratey, in his book A User's Guide to the Brain, sat down and did the math. Right. And about seventy-eight percent of your, let's say, hundred billion neurons can connect between one and ten thousand times with the other seventy-eight percent. And he did the maths and he worked out that there are more ways of creating connections in your brain than there are atoms in the
0: Universe,
2: universe, yeah, it's incredible.
0: I'm good at this, Chris.
2: Brilliant. <laughs> uh, I've said that line so many times, but I still find it incredible. So through neuroplasticity, the ability of the yeah. brain to change itself, um, we are able to make changes. So coming back to, sorry, where I started, we are, as human beings, we are a collection of habits, of behaviours, which are collections of connections between neurons in the brain. We are thinking habits, we are emotional habits, and we are physical habits. We are those three things. When you understand, I think, uh, uh, um, uh, I really wish that I'd learned more about the brain when I was at school. I think life would have been a lot easier. But when you come down to the, the, the level of the neuron. And thinking about who we are, everything that makes us, uh, uh, that makes you Adam, that makes me Chris, and the fact that that is plastic, the fact that we have some control over making changes in these areas of thinking and feeling and uh, physical um, behaviours, I think that gives you a sense of not just ownership, but a sense of action of being able to do something to make changes in these areas.
0: And that means that we're actually work in progress. And perhaps that's a lovely segue into how do we grow? How do we shape? And let's talk about some topics which are always hot topics in the context of leadership, and that's a growth mindset and psychological safety, because you're incredibly well-placed to talk to us a little bit about growth mindset. A lot of people will have heard the term. A lot of people may well be aware of the research that was done by Carol Dweck, but help the listeners understand growth mindset, especially in relation to a leader at any point in their career, because I'm not just talking about now those who are leading the big organizations. There's leadership everywhere and there's a leader in every one. Help us with yeah. this, Chris.
2: Great. I'm actually going to go back a step and then come to your your point on growth okay. mindset. So I work in uh, organisations, uh, you know, Apple, Google, big organisations, international organisations. And my starting point usually is with the neuroscience. Right. Uh, you go into organisations, and you know I, I happen to be a mindfulness teacher as well. If you turn up on day one and say I'm, you know, I want to teach mindfulness, some people will be open to that, but you've got to do something to get people on board. And I nearly always do the neuroscience 101. Here's the brain. Uh, we all have one. Uh, you can, you know, the the workshop might be called the creative brain, the leader's brain, the manager's brain. You name right. it. Starting at that point, I don't want to say it's a Trojan horse, but you can almost then deliver anything. We all have a brain. Um, uh, uh, Whenever you share an insight about the brain, people sort of go, oh yeah, I already knew that. We sort of know instinctively. Uh, that we can make change, for example, through neuroplasticity. We know instinctively that our brain is constantly being uh, pulled off in different directions. Um, A a shout-out to uh, uh, my book of the year so far, Stolen Focus. Um, But looking at... Uh, why we're so distracted, why our level of attention is suddenly going down and down and down. Um, Yeah, so once you've got the neuroscience, people on board with the neuroscience uh, and the evidence, you can then move into other areas. As you say, growth mindset is one of those things that is very well known these days. I'm very lucky to have known Carol Dweck, who's the author of Mindset, um, uh, uh, the book was republished a couple of years ago with some updates. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to have done some research with Carol at Stanford as well, looking at um, uh, 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 the mindset of Silicon Valley founders, right. uh, founders of startups. Um, that's that's uh, in production at the moment. Um, but m- growth mindset is my second step. If neuroscience is the first step, the growth mindset is the second step if your leaders are not showing up the growth mindset, you know, you sort of almost want to go home. Uh, You want to be in that uh, forward trajectory. You want to be in that place of being open to learning and i know that we're going to touch on psychological safety and i see these three things as really intrinsically linked together okay. when you know a little bit about how to create the reward state or how to um uh, without going into the terminology everyone's uh, most people are aware of the fight or flight mechanism did you know that there are uh, five f's so how the brain responds uh to danger fight flight do you know any of the other i
0: don't chris so so share those please
2: Uh, People have often heard of freeze, so you suddenly shut down. Uh, If you think of animals in the animal kingdom, flock coming together in a tight group. And the fifth one uh, is fawn. To, we were talking about our dogs before we came on, on uh, uh, live, and often you will see an animal sort of almost bow down in deference to right. another creature. So those are the five ways in which our brains uh, can respond and the okay. human brain is the same. Um, so when you know how to work with uh, this threat state and how to bring and I'm not talking about somebody chasing you down the the street with a knife, put somebody into an MRI scanner and say to them, oh, we're going to give you some feedback. You see the same um, uh, reaction, the same uh, pattern of electrical activity in the brain as if that person were being chased by somebody with a knife down the street. Your brain doesn't process physical danger and what we call social threat or social danger differently. It actually uses the same neural pathways. So our brain processes threat and reward using different neural pathways, using different messaging. But when you know a little bit about how to manage this threat, so um, making the leap and the connection into growth mindset, You need to be in the towards state, the reward state. So, not managing threat to be in a growth mindset. And that's the connection.
0: And so, as leaders who are hearing this term, uh, studying this term, maybe, you know, that difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, how can somebody start to move towards a positive growth mindset? Because sometimes we're also, aren't we, we're channeling maybe some of our experiences as a child and what we've been taught and what we've experienced in relation to failure or learning. So how can someone rewire or at least start to rewire, Chris?
2: That's a great question. So the 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 first thing is that we're not one or the other.
0: Okay.
2: I'm, I'm going to use the continuum again here. You've got growth mindset on one side and, and fixed mindset on the other. We are all Moving continually between these two points. Okay. uh, Looking at all of the data, almost everybody has a bias for a fixed mindset. Why might that be? Um, In our, and again, I'm gonna say most of our educations, we, uh, uh, educational um, activity, we went to school, and we were taught very, very quickly that you need to achieve certain things. Uh, You either get an A or you don't. And I'm just thinking about all those people who have just got their GCSE results.
0: Including my son, Chris, yesterday. (laughs) how did he get on <laughs> he did good so i'm i, I I'm, I'm the proud dad at the moment but i remember the anxiety uh, as a child myself uh, and chris i i've chronic adhd which i know now but didn't know then so i found exams really hard and so I, I in some ways i think i felt the anxiety of decades ago as we were waiting for my son's exam results does i don't even know if that makes sense but i i kind of relived it
2: I didn't, you know, I didn't do, it's interesting because academically I wasn't very bright when I was at school. If you'd have told me I'd go on to have a master's, be an adjunct faculty on one of the world's leading business schools, (laughs) I would never have believed you. And I didn't do that well in my GCSEs. I can remember sitting on the staircase with a brown envelope and crying because I just hadn't done very well. And it's interesting, that came back to me the other day when I the You know, our yeah. brain ever loses these things, which is great from an evolutionary perspective, because that's a huge threat. And your brain is saying, pay attention to this stuff. It's likely to be dangerous. And right. um, anyway, we're going off track. Well, what were we talking about Um Growth mindset um, and fixed mindset, and the fact that when we start our educational journey, we're taught that um, uh, we either succeed or we don't. You come first in the running race, or you don't. You've probably spoken to athletes. You know, you get the gold medal, or you don't. All of this binary, these binary outcomes, right. can lead to fixed mindset thinking, and we actually carry that forward then into young adults. That's what I
0: mean. Yeah.
2: Exactly, you get it or you don't. It's um, uh, 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 you're successful or you're not. So um, we learn at school very, very quickly more of a fixed mindset approach and um, that's why we tend to uh, uh, have a fixed mindset bias however as we know from neuroplasticity we can change that so what do we need to think about do be to be more growth mindset so firstly start to pay attention language is the way into understanding here so start to listen to your own thinking so we all have i call it radio me (laughs) so it's Radio station that is constantly on. Is is this the
0: inner critic, Chris, that we're talking about as well?
2: Tim Galway had a much better phrase for it, the inner critic. Uh, But, you know, radio me works for me. It's that voice. I like that, radio radio. me. Uh, Why did you do that? You know, you've, I'm not going to use the word I would usually do, blanked up again. (laughs) It's that voice that is in the back of our head. Start to listen to that and you'll very quickly be able to recognize fixed mindset language, can't, won't, shouldn't, that stuff. But then start to pay attention to when you have growth mindset language, Uh, develop, grow, you know, do better. Uh, So when we measure and you can measure an individual's mindset, you can measure uh, a team's mindset, you can measure the mindset, um, uh, of a culture of an organization. In fact, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Mary Murphy, who uh, I mentioned the research that I did with Carol Dweck, she was the other uh, academic working on that. Um, She's now developed um, a machine learning tool where you can take both the internal and external comms of an organization, run them through the the program, and we can tell you whether or not the messages that you're putting out to your customers, to the world, are more fixed mindset or more growth mindset. And the same with your internal comps, for example. So you can have an external growth mindset communication strategy, but your internal comms, especially if you're in, you know, very often in sales organizations – and we see very often fixed mindset approaches in sales teams. You get your number or you don't. Right. And it leads to what we measure is something called cutthroat competitiveness. This is the the behaviors. Um, so if, if you're on a sales team and your sales manager comes to you and says, look, you know, we only need a hundred thousand pounds, dollars, euros to meet our targets this week. You need to go out and get every last, any that you can
0: yeah
2: Uh, you've got a deal that if you could land it in six months time might be worth half a million but if you land it now it will meet the hundred thousand you'll do the thing that you you need to do to get your number to get your figure yeah um so that's one of the things that we can actually actively measure around mindset okay so you're coming back to the language piece um start to notice your fixed mindset language and then look at ways of making that growth. So moving from our fixed to our growth. And uh, one of the most amazing things uh, uh, from Carol's uh, later research is the power of the word yet. Anyone that knows anything about growth mindset in Carol's world will have heard this. So am I not good at maths? Yet. Mindset or am (laughs) I not good at maths yet? It completely magically changes a fixed mindset statement to a growth mindset statement. Pay attention to your fixed mindset thinking. Look at how you can create more of a growth mindset purely with the use of that magic three-letter word. And um, in every course that I run, which is international, I ask every non-native English speaker, does that word or an equivalent exist in your own language? And it does. It may not go at the end of the sentence. It might go at the beginning. It might be longer than three letters, but there is an equivalent. I'd be happy to hear from from e- anybody if it doesn't exist in their language. But so far, um, it, it exists.
0: Right. I love that. You've given us some nuggets already in relation to an approach to the growth mindset. And I love also that just the addition of the word yet can transform anything or anything can take us on a journey from the fixed mindset to the grown growth mindset. Also fascinating, Chris, that actually we, we shuffle between the two. Yeah. So I think that's really important for individuals to understand. Well, now, with that in mind, when we think about the growth mindset, we think about uh, failure, we think about learning. And I've spoken to so many senior leaders who talk about the fact that they have imposter syndrome, that they are still work in progress, even though they might be the CEO of a FTSE 100 or an S&P company. And much is talked about psychological safety. And you just mentioned uh, one organization, which I also spent three years working with as well, Project Aristotle, where they looked at the five ingredients for a high performing team and number one came out as psychological safety. Now, tell us a little bit about psychological safety, because I know that you're also involved in some research and a way of assessing or looking at psychological safety in, in four arenas or four pillars. So I don't want to steal any thunder, but help us a little bit about actually, what is psychological safety, Chris.
2: Great. So, uh, growth mindset. You know, Carol Dweck. Uh, psychological safety. Amy Edmondson. Yep. If you the the, the go to book, uh, "Fearless Organizations" by Amy, a Harvard professor. Um, and for me, it's the you know the the, the Bible, the go to for right. learning. anything. Very lucky to have done some work with fearless organizations on something called PSI, the Psychological Safety Index. And this is a way in which you can go in working with a team and actually measure the psychological safety of the team. So you mentioned, again, Project Aristotle, and this is part of what um, sort of um, catapulted, I think, psychological safety literally onto the desks of many, many leaders uh, but not just leaders, you, you know, as um, uh, a friend's family, Uh, colleagues, knowing a little bit about psychological safety, I think is so important. So there are four uh, things that we look at uh, when we are breaking down psychological safety Uh, and psychological safety for me is, you know, feeling like you fit in, feeling like you have the ability to speak up, feeling like you matter within the group that you, um, uh, that you're talking, uh, that we're talking about or identifying. And again, Going back to the neuroscience, this is so important to understand. As human beings, we are social animals. You know, from the moment we started to stand upright on two legs, we very quickly understood that if we came together in tribes, groups, collectives, our chances of survival were suddenly dramatically increased. Increased, yeah shouldn't be at the top of the food chain. You know, we're not the fastest. We're not the strongest. We don't have the sharpest teeth. Uh, we're not the most resilient. If you look at our babies, you know, they are completely dependent and reliant on us for a long, long period of time. Um, but we are at the top of the food chain. Um, and, again, depending on which research uh, you're reading, there are different uh, versions of why. But the key thing is that we came together in groups. And these groups had to start to navigate, these tribes had to start to navigate social situations. And, of course, we didn't have the power of speech at that time. Right. So within our DNA, we have developed um, uh, a shout out to uh, the Neuroleadership Institute here and David Rock, founder, and um, for the SCARF model, state of certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, I'll let your listeners go and have a look for that. But this is basically understanding the five social domains, the psychological domains of the brain, and how we use those for processing okay. social situations. So if we can come back then to psychological safety. Yeah. Uh, And if you go to any tribal culture, there are very strict uh, rules around how people can interact, what people can do and not do, uh, and how groups will uh, deal with um, uh, inequalities within uh, the tribe. So the four things that we measure with the Psychological Safety Index… What we call inclusion and diversity. Everyone is talking about diversity and inclusion and equity. I would say about fifty percent of the work that I do at the moment is looking at DE and I. It's such an important part. You know, you can have a diverse organization but not have inclusion. Uh, thinking back to when I first started getting involved in leadership development. You know, way, way well, uh, over two decades ago, uh, we had lots of organizations who were saying, Oh, we need more uh, gender equality within the organization. So there was positive discrimination in some parts of, in some industries to increase the number of uh, women on boards, et cetera, et cetera. You might have reached your number, you might have diversity of gender within an organization. That doesn't mean you have inclusion. Right. If you you can, uh, diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice, feeling like your voice matters. You sit around a boardroom table, and if you feel like your voice isn't important, and that's one of the things that we're looking at with with psychological safety.
0: Okay. Uh, So that's one of the pillars, inclusion and diversity. And I always wonder sometimes, uh, Chris, whether it's actually – it is that way around. Inclusion gives you the diversity, the diversity of thought.
2: Yeah. You have to have inclusion first. Before diversity. So we always talked about D&I, D-E-N-I, diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion. Uh, there's been a, a shift, I think, in the last three years, five years. Uh, and you, you you have to put inclusion first. Right. It's like putting the before the horse. You've gotcha. still got the two, but it doesn't go very far.
0: Okay, so that's the first pillar then, inclusion and diversity. What's the second, Chris? So,
2: um, the, uh, uh, j- Just before we leave diversity and inclusion, yep. the key here is that when you have diverse, uh, you have inclusion and diversity. Uh, team members feel able one to be able to speak up, and secondly that they will can they can contribute to the group. So that's the first thing. Right. So the second the attitude to risk and failure, and this comes back to making links with uh, growth mindset. Yeah. Uh, we very easily measure in growth mindset people's attitude towards risk and failure. So teams that. Uh, sort of hold a grudge about mistakes, Um, uh, teams that um, uh, where there isn't psychological safety don't feel that they can say uh, talk about failures, talk about mistakes. Uh, you actually see uh, worse behaviours, and again, linking back to growth mindset in these types of teams. Right. So, uh, Amy's original this is this is very well documented. Amy's original uh, research was not looking at psychological safety. She was working with medical teams in organisations, looking at what makes some teams successful and others not Uh, and uh, um, her hypothesis was that the more successful teams where you had low attrition etc were the ones that made fewer medication errors and she found completely the reverse the teams that were more successful actually made more medication errors how can that be Um, she went back she looked at these teams she talked to them she sat down with them and what she found was it's not that they made more mistakes they reported the mistakes. So teams where you had high psychological safety felt able to own their mistakes, to talk about their failures. In teams where you have low psychological safety, right. people don't feel safe to talk about these things. They right. cover up mistakes. Now imagine in your team, uh, uh, leaders and managers who are listening to this, if you have low psychological safety, people are A, covering mistakes, bad thing for you know all of the reasons yeah. that you think, but that takes energy. And I think uh, some research I was reading said it t- 20% of somebody's energy is used covering up, hiding things, keeping things hidden. If I said to you, I can give your team 20% more energy to devote to sales, marketing, whatever, you know, everyone would, w- would want that because there'd be an increase in all of the bottom line uh, measures that we look at. Right. That's attitude to risk and failure. Okay. Uh, we need to help is the third area. Um, we know again, where there is high psychological safety, people are much more willing to help out uh, other members of the team. But also it, uh, it comes down to things like pro-social behaviors. Where you have high psychological safety, people are willing, um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the researcher, again, it might come back to me, uh, but looked at, um, uh, um, uh, you you give people $10 and you give them the opportunity to either keep that or to give some to charity. Where there is high psychological safety, this willingness to help, you see increased pro-social behaviors. Somebody's walking down a hallway, they drop a load of papers. So high psychological safety, people will stop. They'll help the person to stop the thing. Where you have low psychological safety, the willingness to help goes down. People are less likely to stop and help somebody out uh, if, wow. uh, when they have a particular problem. Um, and the fourth area uh, is what we call open conversation. Where teams can have open, candid conversations, uh, you're much like more likely to see higher psychological safety. The other thing that fits in there is uh, what we call equal turn-taking. Yeah. This doesn't mean that... We have an hour meeting, there are six people, each person gets 10 minutes. It's having the sense or the feeling that my voice counts, my voice matters. It's if I'd wanted to, because often I'm, I hear, well, the people who are extrovert will speak more. Usually that's the case. The leader needs to manage that process in various ways. But at the same time, uh, actually having the sense that you can speak up if you want to, that your voice matters is actually what is important here. So those four things are what we look at when we're using the psychological safety index. We can measure those four things. We can report back to the team. And then what that does is create a conversation. We seem to be doing really well in one area, but maybe not so good in another. How might we approach that or make a difference?
0: Right. So leaders, I'm going to just summarise those four, Chris, because leaders listening to this episode could do some analysis themselves, couldn't they, in relation to those those four areas. Uh, and just you you confirm I've got this correct. So we talked about, one, inclusion and diversity. Two, an attitude to risk and failure. Yeah. Three was a willingness to help. And four was equal turn-taking, or that conversational uh, element.
2: We call that one open conversation.
0: Open yeah. conversation. All right. So anyone listening can actually go away and think about those four areas in relation to their teams for sure. So, again, we're kind of packed full of nuggets. Go on, Chris.
2: The challenge with that yeah. is if you're, if you're a, a leader that doesn't promote psychological safety – your perspective on those four areas may be skewed. That's why it's really important that you can gather that information anonymously, independently, uh, because, uh, you know, if I came and spoke to your team, uh, they might have a very different opinion of how you're doing your job, and sometimes that happens, of course, as leaders.
0: That's the case sometimes, isn't it? So, Chris, you've led me uh, neatly into how can people get in touch with you then to continue the conversation, get you involved in their conversations, get you may be involved because you actually run the psychological safety index to give a review of their team so they can almost have a bit of a healthy mot so how can people connect with you
2: i'm very very delighted to say i am the only christopher samsa in the world
0: (laughs) that's always nice
2: there is i found in the us some time ago a chris samsa uh, but he's not christopher so uh, you can find me on linkedin christophersamsa.co.uk is my sort of entry point for information because you know i work as a, uh, a, a as a facilitator as a, a coach uh, as well as consultant putting together these programs for organizations
0: Okay, well, that's great. And we are literally packed full of nuggets in this episode already. Um, Chris, let me ask you this question I ask many people. And it, you know, with all of your wisdom and experience and the people that you've worked with and, and the amazing work that you've done and you continue to do, is there a piece of leadership advice that really sticks out for you that you've given or received? Anything that sticks out?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I shared my soundbite earlier on, you know, find out what you're good at and do more of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, um, I'm, I'm very lucky to be part of Action for Happiness. Uh, I think Nick Marks is as well. And the patron for Action for Happiness is um, the Dalai Lama. The last okay. time he in the UK was, I think, 2015, uh, and he spoke to Action for Happiness. And I can't remember it word for word, but he sent out this beautiful little invitation uh, uh, to us members. And he said, you know, I'm very proud to be part of Action for Happiness. Uh, Part of the uh, purpose is to increase happiness. But what he says really succinctly and beautifully is that you need to put the happiness of others at the forefront. And what that said to me is that it's an active process. You don't just suddenly become happy, whether you call it contentment, happiness, well-being, whatever, it doesn't suddenly happen. We don't teach our children at school how to be happy. When I speak, I'm not a parent myself, but when you speak to parents uh, and you say, oh, what do you want for your kids? 99% I want them to be happy. Nobody ever said I want them to be an accountant. Nobody ever said I really want them to be dot, dot, dot. I want them to be happy. And yet we don't teach happiness. It's not an active process. So make happiness a priority. Uh, learn the brain, uh, growth mindset, psychology, all of this stuff leads to, uh, you know, I can really honestly say I've never been more content in my life. I've been suffering from depression, anxiety, uh, have, have had four careers. You know, I used to look at my previous three careers and think, oh, my goodness, I failed at three things. You know, as an actor, I was, worked in the advertising world, I worked in retail. I used to look back at that and think, God, I failed. No, I didn't fail. Each of those elements has brought me to where I am today and feeling more content than ever.
0: Wow, I think that's a wonderful reflective point for all of us at the end of this particular episode. And I remember actually the Nick Marks episode, Chris, that we uh, that we spoke about because he said there was a very powerful question that all leaders should ask their team, and that's, are you happy at work? He said it's just an amazing indicator of where they are, and, and you should ask that on a regular basis. It's very simple, but it's very powerful.
2: And I remember that very specifically because, back to where we started, our brains love scaling questions. Adam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how hungry are you? Seven. Great. We always know. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you?
0: Uh, Nine.
2: Great. Me too. I'm about a nine today. Our brain always knows. As a leader, asking that question you will always get an answer
0: right chris you've been an amazing guest thank you so much for taking the time to come on to the leadership enigma and we've packed so much into just a short space of time and i hope that people connect and take you up on your offer and get you involved too
2: i would love to speak to any of your listeners and thanks for inviting me i really enjoyed meeting you when we did at the uh disrupt
0: hr event in london
2: royal society the royal institute
0: (laughs) <laughs> we were somewhere rather lovely in that order, in that wonderful one because that's where the Christmas lectures are done in that in that very auditorium. The Christmas lectures, medical lectures, are run. So I think we were. It was a bit of a privilege for us to be presenting in that space. So think in the
2: same spot that I think Darwin <laughs> stood in. I,
0: I, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, Chris. I, I, it sounds good to me, so we'll go with it. But it was wonderful that we met there, and I'm looking forward to all those videos going online too. But listen, thanks for being a superstar
1: and coming on to the show. Cheers. Take great care. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.